Mac Folklore Radio, read by Derek. I'm still having some not minor, not major health problems, which is why you haven't been hearing from me as often. Let's take a break from clones and power books and do some short fun stuff while I recover. Steve Jobs and Focus Groups, written July 2019 by Chris McCaskill at the late cake.co. Steve wandered into my office one day and asked me to persuade Autodesk, the AutoCAD people, to write software for our new color workstation. I tried, but Autodesk said Sun and Silicon graphics computers were faster, with graphics more suited to CAD. Our PostScript graphics were for publishing. And anyway, what was our installed base? I always dreaded that question. Bill Gates told us he would write software for Next when we got to a million installs. On a good month, we would sell about 3,000. Bill Gates speaking to the University of Waterloo Computer Science Club in 1989. Third standard, you think, well, whatever feature is good in that standard, why can't that be made available uh, in the current designs? In fact, uh, some of you may have seen the announcement of Steve Jobs' new machine, the next machine, and some of you may even have seen some of my comments about that machine. Gates is alleged to have said in an InfoWorld interview about Next Step, Develop for it, I'll piss on it. It's the wrong operating system, the wrong processor, and the wrong price. This is just my own speculation, but it probably didn't help that Jobs licensed Next Step to IBM, which Gates was smack dab in the middle of divorcing when Next Step launched in 1989. Uh, basically, it's a great machine. It's a nice machine. You know, putting a microprocessor in a box, putting a bunch of memory in there, putting a mouse and a screen on it, that's a brilliant idea. I see a new one of those every week. There are some things that are evolutionary type improvements. The use of an optical disk, the use of object-oriented programming, uh, the use of black in this very sort of good-looking way. <laughs> the use of a signal processor. All of those things are great things. And in a market where people are willing, in many cases, to do their own development, a nice machine like that probably will do well. But there are very few such markets. We broke the news to Steve. I can't imagine anyone else bold enough to counter with this. He told us to schedule a meeting for all Autodesk employees on a weekday night in the Marin Civic Center near Autodesk's campus. He would personally give the demo. His stardom had faded, but they accepted and said hundreds of employees would show up, including the founders. We were formal then, thinking our machines were for companies. Steve and I both showed up in suits and pressed white shirts. I followed his strict instructions to stand near the front of the stage and introduce him. Then a spotlight was to find him at the back of the stage and follow him as he approached his desk, as if it were a piano for a performance. The desk was the exact black color of Next's workstation. It had to be turned at 28 degrees to the front of the stage, measured by Protractor, because our $100,000 logo was tilted at 28 degrees. The computer also had to be rotated 28 degrees from the front of the desk, and there had to be a crystal vase on the desk with a single red rose in it. Steve believed that every company had star engineers who could demand to work on any project they wanted. 
This demo was his way to cast his spell on those engineers so they would persuade their bosses to let them start a next project. Naturally, his demo was amazing, and he charmed everyone who came to the stage to shake his hand. I got the definite impression that Autodesk's founders were not amused. They whisked us off to a conference room and bore down on Steve about their concerns, the same ones they had told me. Steve countered by telling his experience with the Mac. He had attended focus groups for the Apple II, and customers kept repeating that they wanted IBM DOS-compatible commands. He concluded that their problem was that they couldn't remember all those commands, but they couldn't know that what they really wanted were icons to click with a mouse. It's true. The Mac was slow in the beginning, but look at it now. It was revolutionizing computers. He went on. We had invented a new way to program, Objective-C, and a thing we called Interface Builder. Once an engineer wrote code for our system, they could never go back. They could develop better programs many times faster than they could on a Sun. Autodesk's engineers would love it. John Walker, one of Autodesk's founders, gave us an emphatic no. Mike Slade joined next as VP of Marketing. He had spent seven years at Microsoft, where he came to know Steve while he was product manager for Excel and Office for the Mac. He joked that his office was near Gates when he first joined Microsoft and was assigned marketing responsibility for Flight Simulator. Gates used to walk by his office and wonder if people played games all day at Microsoft. Mike and Steve had a lot of mutual respect, and I credit Mike for getting Steve into focus groups. I wasn't in them, but he presented the results in an all-hands meeting in the Santa Clara Convention Center. We had about 350 employees at the time. Steve was there, and to his credit, he laughed along with the rest of us. The focus group in New York was filled with IT directors. The leader asked, if computers were cars, what cars would various workstations be? What kind of a tree are you? They decided Hewlett-Packards were Fords, IBMs were Chevrolets, Suns were BMWs, Macintoshes were Acura Legends, and Silicon Graphics were Lamborghinis. Mike asked us in the convention center what car we thought the focus group assigned to next. We couldn't imagine. When he said DeLorean, we all laughed and groaned. Mike said the focus group leaders stayed cool, unlike Steve and the others behind the one-way glass, and calmly asked why they had made those associations. IBM's and Hewlett-Packard's were utilitarian and practical but boring. Suns were fast. Macs were cool in some circles. SGIs were colorful and exotic. But what about DeLorean and Next? First, they were non-standard. DeLoreans had stainless steel bodies, and Nexts were made of magnesium. DeLoreans had gull-wing doors, so you would have trouble opening them to pay the toll on the New Jersey Turnpike. Nexts were cube-shaped. But the killer was that John DeLorean was a drug runner, arrested for selling $24 million in cocaine to try and save his company. They explained that Steve Jobs' image was like DeLorean's, someone mercurial who took drugs and whose company might collapse. You could never bet your job on buying computers from him. Behind the glass, Steve fell over backward, lay flat on the floor, and drove a mock stake through his heart. I felt sorry for Steve. 
It's hard to remember how desperate our situation was, both at Next and Pixar. Of the nine people at Next from the beginning, eight had quit. I wondered why Steve kept going. Did he really need this? In his Stanford commencement address, he called it, It was awful tasting medicine, but I guess the patient needed it. Sometimes life's going to hit you in the head with a brick. Whenever I think the going is rough, I remember how Steve hung in there. Mike served as an advisor for the years when Steve went back to Apple, and Mike had the idea to make a music player. Next step became macOS X and iOS. Mind blown. I can laugh about those focus groups now without feeling sorry for Steve. I think about it often. Autodesk co-founder John Walker's excellent book, The Autodesk File, discusses how AutoCAD barely made it to even the Macintosh in 1988, never mind Next Step. Based on our evaluation of the Macintosh 2, ongoing communications with Apple, the emergence of competitive products on the Macintosh, pressure from dealers, and the intention of major accounts to install that machine, in late 1987, Autodesk committed to developing a CAD product for the Macintosh, and one of our most senior developers was assigned exclusively to the project. Based on technical considerations which made it appear impossible to directly port AutoCAD to the Macintosh, and also from an understanding that products from other platforms merely ported to the Macintosh were unsaleable, Autodesk committed to a multi-man-year development effort with the goal of implementing a new CAD product for the Macintosh. The initial operating capability of the product was anticipated to be at least a year from the inception of the project, and to be a two-dimensional product with the functionality of a much-extended auto-sketch, their entry-level CAD product. Feedback from Apple was contradictory. On the one hand, they, quote, needed AutoCAD to sell to the engineering market, but also wanted a Macintosh-specific product which provided unique value-add based on the application commonality of the Macintosh. I could not personally believe that Autodesk had so lightly committed to developing a totally new CAD product which, to justify the resources which would be expended in developing it, would eventually spawn marketing, training, support, and development costs comparable to those for AutoCAD to address a single market whose total size, using the most generous measure, was 10% of the size of the market for AutoCAD. I also believed that in the one-year estimated time to market, which I considered extremely optimistic, the window of opportunity to position a product on the Macintosh would close particularly as VersaCAD was then beginning deliveries of a product with capabilities similar to those of the product we contemplated, and we knew of several other entrants which would reach the market before we could. In February of 1988, I started to investigate whether it would be possible, by various means, to port AutoCAD to the Macintosh 2. By February 15th, I had demonstrated AutoCAD Release 10 running on a Macintosh 2 in 5 megabytes of memory. Immediately after this was demonstrated, the previously committed project evaporated and was replaced by a project to port AutoCAD Release 10 to the Mac, while adding some Macintosh-specific capabilities. While I was happy to see Autodesk adopt what I personally believed was not only a more realistic, but also a more beneficial goal for a Macintosh product, the whole experience of the definition, destruction, and redirection of the Macintosh product 
does not show Autodesk's formulation of strategy and technical decision-making in its best light. To wit, what if I had done what I was supposed to be doing in the first two weeks of February rather than fooling around with the Mac 2? What if I had not been given a Macintosh 2 to play around with? Where was the serious evaluation of alternatives with regard to the Macintosh before committing to a multi-year development effort? Where were the trade-offs weighed among that project and numerous other claims on our development resources? Why, if it wasn't a good idea to port AutoCAD when it wasn't thought possible, did it become a good idea when I proved it was possible after all? Footnote 271 I pulled this off with one of the dirtiest technological tricks in my inky black hacking career. In 1988, there was no compiler for the Macintosh, which generated 32-bit code, permitted data segments larger than 32K, or compiled inline floating-point instructions, all prerequisites for AutoCAD. But, I noted, at the very same time, we were shipping AutoCAD on the Sun 3, which used the very same Motorola 68020 microprocessor as the Macintosh 2. So, I simply compiled all of AutoCAD, except for the display, keyboard, mouse, and file I.O. drivers on the Sun, linking them into one huge relocatable file, which I called the Titanic. Then, using Lightspeed, later Think, C, I wrote a small conventional Macintosh application which obtained a large chunk of memory, loaded the Titanic into this block of memory, dynamically relocating it and linking external references in it to stubroutines defined in the Macintosh program, and then launching it. The Macintosh program, Tugboat, thus nudged the Titanic into place on the Macintosh. Believe it or not, this all worked, though debugging it with a joke debugger called Tmon, which couldn't disassemble the 68020 instructions generated by the Sun compiler, is a memory still powerful enough to make me grind my teeth. And this is how we finally, after a lot more work by many other people, shipped AutoCAD Release 10 for the Macintosh. MFR historical note, this initial Macintosh release was often derided for its DOS-like user interface, though that improved in the next major version. And that version was the last version of AutoCAD on the Macintosh for the next 18 years. AutoCAD finally returned to the Macintosh in 2009. Thanks for tuning in. You can find more stories or join the very quiet Discord server for this podcast at www.macfolkloreradio.com.